You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I can see everybody's names. This is great. Yes. It, it, yeah, well, in the front rows, yes. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Jared, Jared, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Actually, I grew up um, going by my middle name in Ontario. Like, nobody knew me as David. It's a whole police thing. No, it's not policing, but um, <laughs> there's just this dumb reason why it's changed. But um, so I grew up by Todd, my middle name. And uh, I had a friend who, whenever he got mad at me, he goes, You know, Todd means dead in German, right? He was always uh, kind of getting into my face, yeah. So we're going to carry on. Uh, Cam started last week a a brand new series. It's an eight-week journey through the uh, lives of Abraham and Sarah. And we read about their story in the book of Genesis. And we know about this couple, Abraham and Sarah. We know about them for one reason. And it's because of their connection with God. And that is ultimately where our significance is found. That's where their significance is found in their relationship to God. Without their connection to God, we would never have known who Abraham and Sarah was. Even if they were well known in their day in the ancient Near East, we wouldn't know who they were except for their connection to God. And we know that 4,000 years ago, God called them to leave uh, their town of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, to leave everything uh, behind and to go by faith Where? To the land that God would show them. And God makes this huge promise to Abraham. And we need to get this. The promise is twofold. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And secondly, all the nations of the world will be blessed through your offspring, through your seed. And we need to keep that in mind. To understand the Bible, and some of you may be new to the Bible and feel overwhelmed, like, where do I begin? How do I make? You need to keep that promise, that twofold promise. I'll make your name great, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That promise is a thread that runs through the entire Bible. And as you make your way through the Old Testament, for example, you need to always ask yourself this question. How is this promise being played out? And this this promise has huge ramifications, uh, not just for the story of the Bible, but for the story of our own lives. And behind this call, behind this promise, as as Pastor Cam laid out last week, is, is, is grace. It's grace upon grace. It's, 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 um, it's God deciding to rescue humanity because we know that this promise is ultimately fulfilled in this person, Jesus Christ. And we read in the very opening words of the, of, of the New Testament that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. He is, he is a fulfillment of this promise because it is through Jesus that all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And, and, and Paul writes, he says those, Paul's an early writer, uh, early um, uh, Christian, he writes most of the New Testament. He says, 
That, that is why that those who are in Christ are what? Offspring of Abraham. And so we're going to carry on in the story. We're going to carry on in the footsteps of faith in Abraham. Um, now, it's interesting. Um, the same Paul, he talks about walking in the footsteps of faith by looking at the life of Abraham. Um, and what does he mean by that? He goes, well, you know, the, the, the faith that is shown when, when God calls Abraham to leave everything behind, that's tremendous faith. And then there's another example later in the story of Abraham where we see incredible faith. But here's the thing. If all we had were those two stories, we, we read about Abraham and go, man, what a guy. That's a pretty impressive faith. I could never be like that. Fortunately, we have all sorts of other footsteps of faith in between chapters 12 and 22. And a lot of those footsteps are more like stumbles. <laughs> They're more, and we're going to find that out today. And I love that. I love that because it reminds me of a number of things. It reminds me uh, that there are no heroes in the Bible, right? Except one, Jesus. And so if ever you get a, a Bible study or somebody, hey, let's, uh, we want to walk through the heroes of the faith, or, you know, the heroes of the Bible, walk away. Because there are no heroes in the Bible, except one. And, and what we'll discover is Abraham, his life of faith looks like this. And I love that. Because you know what? When I look at my life of faith, it's, it's like the same way. And I can find a kindred spirit in Abraham. And we certainly find that in our story that we're going to be looking at today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to begin in verse 5. Um, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And it, it takes place right on the heels after God calls Abraham and Sarah to leave uh, Ur. Uh, in honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read this. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife. Now, when you come across Abram and Sarai, their names later on are changed to Abraham and Sarah. Same thing. Um, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of uh, Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, wow, this is his wife. And then they, and then they will kill me, <laughs> but they will let you live. So say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me. 
because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they were sent away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place that he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Father, you're the same God who is with us here in Port Moody this morning as the one who called Abram. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not a philosophy. You're not a worldview. You're not a set of propositions, but you are personal and you are present and you enter into history. And you enter into our lives. And so we pray, this is your word, that you would speak to us through your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would soften hard hearts and grant us the courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. That's our desire. Lord, we lay this before you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I am thankful for this passage. I am thankful for this passage because whenever I think, oh, I can never be like Abram, I read this passage, I'm like, yeah, no, I could be like Abram. Um, it reminds us that, uh, that throughout the Bible, you have people who, um, who do well at times and other times don't do that well. And in, in this passage, and, and one of the themes in this whole series is the theme of faith. And, uh, and faith, as, as uh, a reformer Martin Luther once described faith, faith is, is throwing yourselves on God. Is throwing yourself on God. And in this passage, we see faith, <laughs> but it's not throwing himself on God. It's throwing himself on something else. We do see faith, but the faith is misplaced. And every one of us, at any moment, at any day, demonstrate faith. Like you all showed faith coming here this morning. You entered into this building, trusting that this building is built well and will not collapse. Uh, you had faith when you came this morning that the coffee would be strong enough to keep you alert during this message, right? Um, you demonstrate faith afterwards by getting into a car, getting on a bus, getting on your bike, and heading home. And so you have faith that the other drivers on the road will not run into you. And so, okay, yeah, we have faith. And we all show faith. And so the question is, what do we have faith in? Now, the, the faith that Scripture calls us to is a pretty radical faith. It is throwing ourselves on God. And so one of the questions that shows up in this passage that I think we need to think about is this question. 
When things get difficult, where do you throw your faith? Where do you throw yourselves? How do you show faith? What do you trust in when things get difficult? In this passage, we get the story of Abraham and Sarah. They're living in the land of Ur. They're wealthy. They're getting on. They're in age. We think that Abraham, Abraham is probably 75 years old and Sarah is 65 years old. Uh, in the midst of their day-to-day -day life, God interrupts, calls them to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land that I will show you. And incredibly, Abraham takes, him, Abraham takes God at his word and by faith does what he asks. He, he listens to God, sort of, mostly. Let me ask you this. What does God call Abraham to leave behind? I really want to know. What, what, what does he call, tell, God, uh, tell Abraham to leave behind? <laughs> family, yeah. Leave everything behind, including your family. Now, does Abraham do that? Sort of. <laughs> kind of. Who does he bring along with him? Lot. Now, here, just give you a little spoiler alert. Wherever you come across Lot's name, it doesn't go well. Um, he brings Lot with him. And, 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 and that becomes real pain. Now, now Lot's his nephew, and, um, and he's going to cause all, all sorts of problems. And I think it goes back to the fact that you're supposed to leave your family behind. And he did, for the most part, but he brings Lot. Why does he bring Lot? Well, because there's this promise. I'm speculating. There's this promise that you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have offspring. Well, Abraham's he's 75 years old. Sarah's 65. So he's like, well, Lot's young. Maybe through my nephew, through my punk nephew, Lot, uh, God will be able to complete his promise. I don't know. But this is going to show up again and again. Now, this whole journey runs into uh, a real snag because we read that there's famine in the land. Now, just prior to the famine, it's, 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 it's a pretty cool scene. Just prior to this, we read that Abram, Abraham did make it to the land of Canaan. He did make it to the land that God was, going to, uh, was showing him. He sojourned around the land. It's kind of strange. He kind of goes into the land and then he leaves the land. Um, but while he's there, while he's in the land, we read that the Lord appeared to Abraham. I mean, what would that have been like? That's pretty cool. And it says Abraham responds by building an altar to the Lord. And so an altar, why is he building an altar to the Lord? Well, in a polytheistic world in the ancient Near East, what Abraham is saying by making this altar is saying, God, my allegiance is to you, the only true God of the, of the universe. That's what he's doing. And so it's, it's, it's a pretty good, good picture. But then we read that there's famine in the land. In verse 10, you know, and then we read that there's, there's famine breaks out in the land. Now, famine was quite common in the ancient Near East. And it would often happen in this land of Canaan or, or um, where... Uh, Abraham was, was directed to because it was, that land was dependent upon rainfall. 
And so what would uh, a lot of people would do is they would head down to Egypt because Egypt was not so much dependent upon rainfall, but dependent upon the Nile River. And an interesting kind of geeky historical side note, I was reading um, when I was preparing this message, I was reading that uh, there is um, historical geological evidence that there was this major drought cycle that took place in the area of Palestine around the time that Abraham uh, would have been living. So that's kind of interesting. But theologically, we need to pay attention here. Because this passage says a lot about how we walk or we don't walk with God. The first thing that this passage teaches us, and we need to get this, is that simply because we are walking with God, everything's not going to work out just great. Right? I mean, Abraham is called by God and it's all sounding good, but then there's a famine. And it's a reminder that simply because we are throwing ourselves on God doesn't mean there's going to be no problems in life. I have to bring this up because sometimes it's when, when a person becomes a Christian and, and, and it's our own fault because we say, hey, is your life really bad? Become a Christian. Everything will be great. Now, on one hand, that's true. Our lives will flourish. We're in sync with the author of life and our lives will become full of meaning because we're in sync with the one who created all things and who's written the story of all history and we're part of a bigger story. yes. But it doesn't mean everything's going to go great. In fact, the one promise that very few Christians put on their wall is the promise where Jesus says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. Yeah, you don't, you don't see Christians, oh, that's my promise for today. <laughs> in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> but it's true. It is true. In this world we will have trouble. No, we're not alone in it. Yes. But this passage points out, you know, as soon as Abraham aligns his life with God, he throws his life on God, there's a famine in the land. Now, the second thing that comes out of this passage is this. When things don't go the way we hope them to go, we often take matters into our own hands. Now, why does Abraham go to Egypt? Well, on one hand, Abraham reasons that God cares for him and now there's no food. But notice what Abraham does and doesn't do. Does he throw himself on God? Does he stop to think that maybe this challenge is simply part of his faith journey? Does he inquire of God? Does he, does he even ask, God, what would you want me to do in this? It's not like he doesn't know God. Like God, as we read, God has appeared to Abraham. And so there's, there's, there's a relationship that's developing here. Does he even ask God whether or not he should go down to Abraham, uh, go down to Egypt? Doesn't look like it. One guy, uh, Derek Kidner, um, he's my favorite Old Testament commentator. We all have our favorite Old Testament commentators, yeah. Uh, he says this, he says, Abraham went on his own initiative, taking everything into account but God. 
So what accounts for this decision to go down to Egypt? Well, it was faith, but not faith in God. It was a faith. It was a different kind of faith. It was a faith that was driven by what? Fear itself, yeah. There's a famine in the land. And so we see this, that, that fear takes over. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know anyone who falls into this kind of faith? Is this something you've ever struggled with? You know, I begin the day full of faith. I begin the day, I pray, Lord, this day belongs to you. Whatever happens, I belong to you. I will walk with you, Lord. And then, you know, something goes wrong. And immediately, I go into fix-it mode. And I try to mitigate what's ever going wrong. I, like, I begin the day, honestly, full of faith. But all it takes is one thing to go wrong and I immediately throw myself on myself. This, um, this past year, I've been seeing a counselor. Uh, I'd never seen a counselor before, but about a year and a half ago, there's a few issues that I thought, well, I'll, I'll go see a counselor. And, and um, he was really good. He actually revealed something to me that I'd never seen before. And this is what he said to me. He says, David, he goes, you're great at trusting God in the macro, but not in the micro. And it's true. Like, I honestly believe because of the cross of Christ, because of Christ's death and resurrection, I know that if I got hit by a bus on my way home, that I would be in the presence of Jesus and I will have eternal life with God. I believe that fully. I truly do. I believe that my life will only make sense insofar as it's connected to Jesus. I really believe that. I have this macro view of God. It's just, if I'm late for the ferry <laughs> or I have to get through customs or if there's a car, if, if my, my, I get into a car crash, or, 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 or just, just stuff that happens in life. Immediately, in the micro, I stop trusting in God. It's like, it's, it like, God, yes, I know when I die, I'll be in your presence, but I have to get this plane. I have to get this flight. So if you just stand over there, I think I got this, Right? <laughs> So in all the micro stuff, I throw myself on myself all the time. Anybody else do that? Oh, good, yeah. I said this at the Mariner, and it was just crickets. I'm like, oh, apparently I was the only one that struggled with this, yes. Yeah. And so now I, so, but then I read Abraham here. I'm like, oh, man, a kindred spirit. Because the moment something goes wrong, it's like, oh, God, I'll build an altar to you, and God, you, you know, I will go to the land that you showed me. But the moment something goes wrong, Abraham's like, um, let's head down to Egypt. Let's, 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 he throws himself, he fixes things on his own. Any fixers here? So he packs up his family, takes them to Egypt, and it's a step of faith, but not faith in God. It's a step of, of self-preservation. Now, I had a, um, 
I had a professor when I was uh, back at Regent College, Bruce Walkey. He's a, quite a well-known Old Testament guy. And uh, I, t- I took a class with him on Genesis, and he's talking about this passage. And he shared a story. He says he knew a guy once who was a Christian businessman. And as a businessman, he had fallen on hard times. And as his company owed lots of money. And as a result, he was doing some pretty shady business stuff. And Walkie called him on it. He says, you know what? He goes, I, I, I don't care that you're in debt. You can't do this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is unethical business practice. And the guy goes, man, I got, I got to get out of debt. And Walkie says, you can't do this. And then finally the guy got mad and he looked at Bruce Walkie. He says, look, I got to eat, don't I? And Walkie said, no, you don't. You don't need to eat if it means that this is going to be the person you're going to become. If you're going to do this kind of uh, unethical business practices, if you have a choice between living a life that runs right against the way of Jesus and eating, (laughs) go without food. I'll never forget that. Well, and what happens? Abraham, you know, he's got this great plan. How we'll go head, head down to Egypt. But on his way, he's like, wait a minute. There's another problem. If Pharaoh, the leader in Egypt, sees my wife, Sarah, he may just end up killing me to get at my wife. Abraham knows that Pharaoh is a powerful man and he's used to getting whatever he wants. So he's afraid that when Pharaoh sees Sarah, he's just going to take her. And then what will happen to me? So he panics. Now, what is he? He's forgotten the whole promise just a few verses earlier that God gives to him. He's like, I'll make you into a great nation through you. All the offspring of the world, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He's forgotten that. Right now, he's like, oh, what's going to happen to me? And so what does he do? He makes contingency plans. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm a master of contingency plans. I can make so many great plans for imagined scenarios of tomorrow. My mind, whenever I'm in trouble, I think of all sorts of scenarios and how I can get out of these problems. Anybody else do that? Well, that's what Abraham does. He's like, oh, you know, if they look at Sarah, they're going to see she's really beautiful. So what can I do? Hey, I got a plan. Sarah, honey, um, would you mind? <laughs> like, like, what? And Sarah's like, really? Would you mind if, if, if Pharaoh sees you, just say that you're my sister? He's not thinking two steps down. The, That'll protect me, Right? Now, it's interesting, just as an aside, when I was preparing this, all the male commentators had to explain why Sarah at 65 could still be beautiful. (laughs) That's kind of dumb, right? Because of course she could be beautiful. I think it has more to do with our forever young culture than the fact that in different times, different cultures, a woman at 65 can be very beautiful. In our culture, a woman at 65 It's very beautiful. Anyhow, Abraham's philosophy at this point is like, well, 
better Sarah gets into Pharaoh's harem and me survive than anything else. And Sarah's like, okay. And she's, been, you know, she's, she's now part of Pharaoh's harem. Great solution, Abraham. So where are things at? Abraham's stuck in Egypt. Yeah, he's got food. And you notice he gained a lot of wealth in, the, in this whole scenario. The problem is, is the wife of the promise is in Pharaoh's harem. So things are not looking very good for this promise. But then we read the words. Oh, and these are my favorite words in the Bible. You know what the words are? But the Lord. But the Lord. I have a friend of mine, he wants to write a book, and it's just called But God. Because it comes up so many times. You know, we're lost, we're lost in our sins, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And there's so many moments all throughout the Bible, it's like, it's looking terrible, but the Lord. The living God intervenes on behalf of Abraham and Sarah. And what does he do? We read that he inflicts plagues upon Pharaoh because of Sarah. We don't know what diseases, but Pharaoh's response is pretty clear. His response is essentially, what, why, go? <laughs> what is this that you have done to me? Dude, why did you not tell me she was your sister? Oh, yeah, your, your wife. Yeah, why do you tell me you're, you're, you're not your wife? Yeah. And the third one is what? Go. Get out. He's deported. <laughs> deported out of Egypt. Just go. Take your wife and go. So they're deported, and they're taken out of the place that they were not supposed to be. Now, we need to see this because this is sheer grace. This is God's grace from... Does Abraham deserve this? Nope. Does Abraham call out to God for help? Nope. And yet God extended his grace to this couple. And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you, I mean, it's a reminder that despite our foibles, despite our shortcomings, despite our fears and our imagined scenarios and throwing ourselves upon ourselves, that God's grace is greater than us, right? God's grace surrounds us more than we realize. And God is going to keep his plan on track. And same with you and me. What does Paul say? He began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you one more thing, one more thing in this passage. How does Abraham respond to all this? He leaves Egypt. Where does he go? Ah, very good, yes. Back to where he started. He goes back to the very place where he first called upon the Lord. Now, why does he go back there? Pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> Pretend like nothing happened. In a way, I think he goes back to where he started to ask God for a do-over. Now, some of you uh, remember um, 
Pastor Mark Francisco. Uh, he used to be the senior pastor at, at uh, CA Church for 20 years. He retired last year. So I worked with Mark for 20 years. And a uh, long time ago, this is about 18, 19 years ago, I remember this, this incident. Um, there was a guy on staff. He's long gone. So don't look around. It wasn't Cam. <laughs> There's a guy on staff uh, who's causing a few problems. And uh, we brought him into uh, to Mark's office, and we're sitting down. And the guy was mad. He was just mad. He's mad at something. And uh, he, he ended up just screaming at Mark and throwing this other colleague under the bus. He's like, this guy's an idiot. And he just, just tore a strip out of our colleague and said all sorts of horrible things and then yelled at Mark. And I'll never forget Mark's response because Mark's just kind of quiet. And when the guy was finally done, Mark goes, he goes, you know what? Every now and then in life, we do things or we say things and we think, ah, I wish I had a do-over. He goes, I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing that if, if, if I gave you a do-over, you'd say things differently, wouldn't you? And the guy goes, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so Mark goes, all right, let's, let's pretend this tirade never happened. Let's start again. I'll never forget that. And Mark, he never held that against him. He said, all right, try again. And I think this is what Abraham's doing. He goes back and he's just like, oh, Lord. That whole thing with Sarah being my sister, and I, yeah. I'm really sorry. And we read, he goes back to the same place and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He goes back to the very same place where he had built an altar. And he wants to start again. And he essentially says, Lord, what a mess. Can I start again? And do you notice what the Lord does? He says, sure. He receives them. And you know what the image came to mind when I was thinking about this passage? You guys are probably thinking about it too. Is, is in the New Testament, the story that Jesus tells about this, this no good rotten son who squanders all of his father's inheritance and blows his money on wine and women and whatever and then comes to his senses because he's got nothing left, comes back and he's going to just, you know, he tries to come back and the father sees him and he runs out and he embraces him and he restores him. And we can't miss this because some of you here this morning have acted out of fear, have thrown yourself on your own choices, your own desire to fix things, and it hasn't gone well. And some of you may be thinking, oh man, David, you have no idea what I've done. I'm too far gone. There's no way God will ever receive me back. And some of you are here and you come in late and you leave early and you kind of sit off in the corners and, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming, but you have no idea the things that I've done in my life. 
Can I point one thing out to you? It's this thing here. See that cross? It's pretty important. You need to know because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of what Jesus has done, dying the death that we should have died, paying the penalty for the things that we've done that we wish we hadn't have done, things we hadn't done that we wish we had done, Jesus paid, pays that debt once and for all, dies our, the death that we should have died, but is raised to new life. And because of that, we have a million do-overs. You know that? That God has got a second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. And again and again, we can come back and we can throw ourselves at the cross and say, oh man, I got nothing. Can I start again? And you need to hear this, is that the Father looks at you and he says, welcome. Come to me and know that you have been set free. I am the God of a hundred, a million do-overs. And that you are my adopted daughter, you're my adopted son. And that at any point, at any time, you can boldly approach the throne of grace and I will receive you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You believe it here? Do you believe it here, though? You know what the challenge of the Christian life is? Is to believe the things that we say we believe. That you can come forward at any time and be received. He has his arms open wide. And this is a grace. This is a grace that runs through the Bible. God is so loving that he can't help himself but welcome you back. And so maybe some of you really need to hear this today. That you can come before him and he will embrace you because he sees you and he loves you. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the rail city campus of CA church.